this book of Esther, this character, this woman, this story has been so intriguing. And even though I have, I have read this book many times, being able to sit down and study and dissect and to see how this fits in with our life and to be able to ask the question, what does this have to do with me, has been just a pleasure uh, for me to do. And I love this story of Esther. Obviously, we know that uh, Esther was in exile uh, in uh, Persia, and uh, she was an orphan. And Mordecai, her older cousin, was taking care of her. She had a beauty contest, and uh, she won the king's favor because he kicked the old queen out. And so she won the king's favor. And, um, and then Haman, who was one of the king's ad- advisors, he was promoted to second command, he was given the, the ability for others to bow before him. But Mordecai, Esther's cousin, uh, would not bow, and that sort of made Haman mad. So he wanted to kill him and kill all the Jews, and Esther didn't really know of that. But, but Mordecai told Esther uh, through uh, some other people, and so Esther uh, was able to be notified of, of the plot of the evil plot by Haman. And uh, in order for her to stop this, and God put her in that position for such a time as this, in order for God to stop that, and her to stop that, she had to approach the king unannounced, which meant it could end up in death unless the king uh, graciously held out a scepter, which she did. She did approach the king. He did hold out a scepter. She uh, was able to approach him And he asked her, what do you want? What do you desire? Up to half the kingdom I will give to you. And what we learned last week is is that Esther, before she approached the king, she did something very important. Rather than going to the king immediately when she heard that, she just said, all right, I I need to take a time out. I need to pause I need a plan, and I need to have some time with the Lord. So she spent three days, she and, and she encouraged others, Mordecai and, and the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish nation there around um, the capital of Persia. And for three days, they, they prayed and they fasted and they sought the Lord. And what's really interesting is that during that time, um, Esther was able to develop three qualities because she spent some time with the Lord. She had a sense of calm when she approached the king. She had a sense of of control when she approached the king. And she also had a sense of confidence when she approached the king. And the confidence was evident by the fact that while she was waiting for three days and spending time with the Lord, she planned a banquet. She planned a banquet. Because when she approached the king, he, he said, what do you desire up to half the kingdom? Which is amazing because, it, which just goes to back to control. If, if you and I were given the ability up to half the kingdom to accept that and say, hey, I, I'll take that. And I'm gone. But she showed that control. She showed that control of, of being able to say, you know, that's not what I came here for. So she said, come to me tonight, you and Haman, and I want to invite y'all to a banquet tonight. 
Well, that banquet was already planned. So she had the confidence to pre-plan that banquet. And so what I encourage you last week is maybe you're in a situation where maybe you, you're being intimidated by someone or maybe there's someone in your life you just, you're just not really getting along with or maybe there's just a situation that you feel like you just can't face on your own and you just don't know what to do. It's like, I, I don't really have all the answers. I don't know what I need. Just take a time out. Be patient. Spend some time with the Lord. Ask others to go before the Lord for you and with you and ask the Lord for you to approach that situation with a sense of calm, with some control, and with confidence. Not, not arrogance, just confidence. It can only come from the Lord. And in that time, plan your banquet. Meaning, plan what your next step is what you feel like God's telling you to do, plan it. So that way, you're ready to go. So Esther's story speaks to us in so many different ways. And so as we move on to the story, for as we close out Esther today, we find, last we found Esther inviting the king and Haman to a banquet. So what was Esther's request? Esther's request was that her, is that Haman and the king attend a banquet. And during that banquet, for the three, the king again asked Esther, what does she desire? So he asked her again the second time. Okay, here we are at this banquet for three. Honey, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom, I'm gonna give to you. What do you want? And so here's what she says. She invites them both back again the next night, the next day, for another banquet. Isn't that just like a beautiful woman to keep a man waiting? <laughs> I mean, sure, she, I mean, she knows how to tease on this, but, but I, I think she's more of following the patience of the Lord that the Lord is giving to her. And as we... And as we turn in the story today, you're going to find out why that was important. So I'm going to ask you to hang on and pay attention because this story is about to take an amazing turn. So after the banquet, Haman was in high spirits. He went home to his wife after the first banquet and went home to his wife and his friends and boasted about how he was invited to to these banquets and how he was the only one outside the king and the queen that was invited. And he boasted about his incredible wealth and all of his sons. Biblical scholars believe that he had close to 220 sons because he had lots of you know, other concubines and, and, and wives and that kind of stuff. And I guess he had one, one main wife. And, you know. But Haman was not satisfied because he was evil. And let me tell you something, church. Evil is never satisfied. Evil is never satisfied. Have you, ever, have you ever been tempted by something that's evil and you go through with that and then it's never satisfied? You either want more of the same or deeper into that. Evil 
is never satisfied. So Haman, the reason why he wasn't satisfied is because he saw Mordecai, Esther's cousin, sitting at the gate, the king's gate, after the banquet. And it just infuriates him because earlier, Mordecai would not bow down to to Haman. And so this, this arrogant pig just feels like that, that Mordecai owes him something. So he's just not satisfied. He could not stand to wait another 11 months, which is the date they set to kill all these Jews. He wanted to do it then. So his wife and his friends suggested that he build a 75-foot gallow in order to have Mordecai impaled. So picture a, a, a large wooden structure featuring a tall pole, and this pole was 75 foot tall, where a person is hung by a sharp stake thrusted into their body. Um, and in fact, the, the uh, biblical scholars say the Roman government who developed the, the crucifixion actually got their crucifixion idea from the Persians and who passed it down to the Greeks, who passed it down to the Romans. So Haman loved this idea and began constructing this gallow. Haman's hatred consumed him to the point that the only agonizing death of his enemy would satisfy him. So Haman falls asleep to the sound of workers hammering and sawing and constructing this huge gallow for Mordecai. And first thing in the morning, he's going to go tell the king, king, this is what I'm doing. This Mordecai, this scum, I've got to take care of this guy now because he's kind of the ringleader of all this. So Haman sleeps fine. Persia sleeps fine. Esther sleeping fine. But the king, not so much. The king can't sleep. So this is after the banquet, first banquet. King can't sleep. You know, often when I can't sleep, I I try to read something. (laughs) Reading puts me to sleep. And um, and so I, I try to read and and get, you know, if I got a lot of stuff on my mind, I'll, I'll, I'll read something. And so the king had, had his attendants uh, read to him the, the recorded minutes of previous meetings that they've had there at the palace. Can you imagine how boring that would be? To just say, all right, it's, it's, it's you know, in the middle of the night, I can't sleep. So he gets attendance, and he probably has people who are, who are watching the whole night, and maybe he woke some people up. I don't know, but he, all I know is that he's getting somebody to read the minutes of previous meetings. That would put me to sleep, to someone reading, you know. And so he is, he is there, and he's, maybe he's kind of falling asleep a little bit, kind of nodding his head and a little bit, but, but, but something catches his ear. Very early in the morning. So, so maybe he's been listening to this for a few hours. And, but very early in the morning, we see 
And in Esther chapter 6, verse 1 and 3, it says, That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, who were two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. So here you have the king, he can't sleep. He's listening to records of his minutes of meetings and something catches his ear. Wait a second. This guy saved my life. These other men were gonna, were gonna assassinate me and he spoiled their plot and he let us know. What has been done for this man? Nothing has been done. Well, we need to change that. So God is not mentioned in this book at all. But can't you just see the fingerprints of God all over this? All over this. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and can't sleep? Maybe you're up for a reason. Maybe you're up for a reason. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. Maybe you need to pray about something. Whatever it is, God is obviously behind this, and he caused the, the king not to be able to sleep. So it's almost sunrise, and Mordecai's gallows are almost complete. Haman will be coming in to share his plan involving Mordecai, killing Mordecai. He's going to share it with the king sometime this morning. Mordecai is about to die, and what does God do? He steps in in the 11th hour. He does the unexpected. When no one seems to notice and no one seems to care, God notices and God cares by moving the heart of the king when he couldn't sleep. You know, Mordecai was a godly man, but God never shared with Mordecai what was happening behind the scenes. Mordecai just trusted in the Lord. So, do I speak today as a, as a, as a modern-day Mordecai? H has a decision or, or a discovery of yours caused someone else to be promoted to a place of significance? And, and now that person has all the glory, uh, the status, the salary, the celebrity, and you've never been recognized. How unfair, we say. Have you, been, have you seen someone else get the credit when the credit was really due to you? So take a lesson from Mordecai. Through all of that that happened to him, here's the main point. Mordecai never becomes a man of vengeance. He never becomes a man out for Revenge. He never becomes a man who's like, wait a second, I didn't get honored, but Haman did. Mordecai never goes there. So the king couldn't sleep. Mordecai needs to be honored. So the king tries to find someone who can help honor Mordecai. So in, in chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, it says, the king says, who is in the court? So it's really, really early in the morning. Maybe the sun is just coming up. 
Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman, you know, he's standing in the court. Oh, bring him in, the king ordered. He'll have some great ideas. Man, what a, what a, great, what a great person to help me figure out what to do with Mordecai. So now this is the moment when evil and good are about to clash. Evil and good are, are about to clash. Haman is excited to tell the king about his plan to kill Mordecai, and the king is excited to tell Haman about his plans to honor Mordecai and to reward him. So we have this evil and good about to clash. How many times does that happen? Even when we don't even realize it, when God is working on our behalf. And notice, Mordecai knows nothing about this. How many times have we go through our life and we just trust in the Lord? We have full faith in him. And he is working all things for our good. And we have no clue. We have no clue. Who will win between this good and evil? Let me tell you, it's the one who is in charge. Who's in charge? It's not the king. It's not Haman. It's God. When God calls the shots, nobody can stop the action. When God calls the shots, nobody can stop the action. That's why it's important for you and I, when we have transitions in our life, to trust in him. When we lose our job, we don't freak out. <laughs> we, we go before the Lord. We have a sense of calm, control, and confidence and know that God is working and conversations are happening that we don't even know about. I've seen it all the time. I've even been in positions where I see and I hear conversations that's happening and they involve someone that I know and they're about to get you know, receive some good news, and I'm like, yay! You know, I'm like, yes. And in and, and some of those moments, I, I can see that and how exciting that is. I just, I feel like God is up there going, I cannot wait to reveal to you what I am planning. And then when we say, you know, God, I, I got this. I'm just gonna do it myself. God's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, if you only knew, if you only knew what I had for you. Mordecai had trust, he had faith. So before Haman could say a single word to the king, Haman, I'm sure, was just about ready. Hey, king, king, listen to this, listen to this great idea. And king's like, Haman, I've got a question for you. I need some help. But king, I really want to tell you this. I got a question for you, and I need some help. Verse 6. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Doesn't that sound like some very people who are trying to intimidate you? Doesn't that just sound like people? Maybe people in your life who, who are trying to get the best of you or, or trying to, outdeal you or trying to, you know, 
you know, do uh, something better than you and, and trying to get the best of you, intimidate you. They're just think about themselves. What a great day for Haman, he thought. You know, he gets to kill his enemy and be honored by the king in the same day. Haman quickly puts together this, this plan to honor himself right there in verse 7 through 9. So he answered the king, thinking, oh, this is going to be for me. For the man the king delights to honor have to bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with the royal chest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to the one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. King says, brilliant, what a great idea. Haman, I know I could trust in you. I could not have thought of something better than that. Now here is where I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Here is where I would love to have been in that room to be able to see what happens here. And it says this, verse 10. Go at once, the king commanded Haven, commanded him. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. It's interesting the king would know that. We'll get to that later. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. Wow, what a turn of events. All orchestrated by God. All orchestrated by God. This, this command the king has, it has humiliation written all over for Haman. But Haman had to oblige, so he did exactly what he suggested to the king. And then verse 12, afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. Now, I want you to go back to that first part of that verse in, in verse 12. What does this say that Mordecai did when this was done. So he, he, he went through all of this, this parade and, and did this stuff. And so after it was done, he returns to the king's gate where he's always been. His role, his role has not changed. He did not, go, he did not let this get to his head. So have you been recently promoted or maybe become popular or maybe good things are happening? Are, are you held in high esteem for others? If so, the real question is, are you still comfortable at the king's gate or must you now live in the palace? Are you too good to be at the foot of the king's gate? Let that be a lesson for us, a lesson that Mordecai shows us. He's been honored and had this, this, this big presentation. What does he do afterwards? He has no expectation of now being in the palace. He's going back to being that humble man of God at the king's gate. 
at the king's gate. So while Haman was getting over his humiliation and talking with his wife, you know, he went home sulking, just like, what just happened? The king's assistants came to pick up Haman, said, hey, your cab's here. It's time to go to the banquet, banquet number two. (laughs) It's about to get crazy. I could imagine as Haman is leaving his house, he's walking out the front porch and he's looking at the 75-foot gallow that was created for Mordecai going, man, did that just go wrong? Did that go wrong? On his way to the banquet. While at this banquet for three, King Esther and Haman, the king asked her for the third time the request. What do you want, sweetie, darling? I'll give it to you, up to half the kingdom. Her response is found in chapter seven, verse three through four. It says this, and Queen Esther answered, if I, and I love this response, listen, if I have found favor with you, your majesty. You know, I've not had Suzanne call me your majesty ever. (laughs) And if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we have merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Wow, what diplomacy, what grace, what humility, and zero expectation. She approaches the king and makes her request. Now, here's a moment of truth, church. Here's the moment of truth. The king responds to Esther's request. Verse five and six. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing, to kill you and your whole nation. Esther said, an adversary and enemy, the vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Haman now realizes, and so does the king, that Esther is a Jew, for she has kept it a secret the whole time. I find it extremely bold that Esther called out Haman as the enemy with him in the room. You know, it would have been so much easier if if, if Haman was not at their banquet. But if he was not at the banquet, the king never would have seen the way Haman responds. Look at what Haman responds. Look at this. In verse uh, 7 through 10 of chapter 7. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch, not good, where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? 
as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. I can just imagine this little pillowcase thing or something over his face, duct tape. And then Harbona, he's, he's probably a bad dude. Um, one of the eunuchs attending the king said, a pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits, which is 75 feet, stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole. He had set it for Mordecai, and the king's fury subsided. Calling out Haman in the presence of the king was the only way to see the fear in Haman. So what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us? You know, it, it, it's so important for us to realize Esther in her wisdom, and again, she got this wisdom because she took time out and prayed and fasted and had others pray and fast. But in her wisdom, she acknowledged evil. She named evil in the presence of the king. She called evil out in the presence of the king. Yo, this is, this is very important to us. You and I have a Haman in our life. It might be a, it might be a person, it's, but it probably goes deeper than that. You and I have a Haman in our life. You and I have, have some sort of thing in our life that we need to call out and we, didn't, we need to name it in front of the King of kings and Lord of lords in front of Jesus. Because I believe the reason why many believers, many Christians go through their life being defeated time and time again and never really getting the victory is because they're not really willing to call evil what it is, to call it what it is in front of our Heavenly Father, in front of Jesus. There might be some vagueness, oh Lord, just kind of help me be a better person or help me, you know, to kind of uh, live beyond these things or or maybe you just totally dodge it. Maybe you're just kind of praying for others, but you know there's a Haman in your heart. There's a Haman in your life, and we're not calling it out. Yeah, it could be a person that's intimidating you or taking advantage of you. It could be a temptation that keeps coming back stronger and getting the best of us. It could be a voice in your head filling you with lies about what a lousy friend you are, a lousy mom, a lousy dad, or a lousy whatever. You fill in the blank. It could be that voice. It's an enemy that you just can't shake. And you know what to do. You need to call them out. You need to call them out in the presence of the king and watch it squirm. Watch it squirm. You need to call out that enemy. You need to call out that enemy. If you're fighting, if if your enemy in your heart, in your life, is unforgiveness to somebody else, you need to call that out. Lord, my enemy is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, meet the king of kings. 
who could, who could take care of you. King of kings, here's my enemy, unforgiveness. You gotta call it out for what it is. You, you, you fighting other things, maybe lust, lust. Meet the king of kings. Lord, this is what's happening. This, this is the enemy. I'm calling it out because your enemy has a name. Y'all, we need to call our enemies by name. And we need to introduce them to the name that is above all names, Jesus. That's what we can learn from Esther by inviting the good and the evil together. Y'all need to meet. <laughs> So what, what enemies in your, in your life, what Hamans are in your life that you need to call out? What Hamans are in your life that you need to call out to him? In just a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna have a time of prayer. And in just a moment, the band's gonna come up and sing, lead us in one last song. And we're gonna stand and sing. But listen to, listen to me, this altar is open. And, and, and if you want some time to pray, if you just said, Lord, I, I've been dodging this enemy. I've been dodging this enemy. I've not gotten you together with this enemy. And it's time I call evil by name. And this altar's open. Call it by name. Give it to the King of kings and Lord of lords.